0: Welcome to the first edition of the Iron Soldier Podcast. My name is First Lieutenant Scott Klein, and I am privileged to serve as the host for this conversation coming to you from beautiful Fort Bliss, Texas, home of America's Tank Division and the First Armored Division. We are proud to be the second largest installation in the Army, spread out over two states, New Mexico and Texas. Again, we are the home of one of the oldest and most esteemed units in the United States Army, but most importantly, we are proud of the diversity within our formations. Uh, today, we are going to talk about some of that diversity. We're going to talk about Operation Ironclad, which is the Commanding General, Major General Sean Bernabi's top priority here in Fort Bliss, and is in line with the People First Strategy, as outlined by the Army's Chief of Staff. We're going to talk with the lead Sark from the 1st Armored Division Headquarters, Sergeant First Class Renee Kiger, as well as a soldier in hhb devarty specialist myra underwood it's going to be a great conversation and we'll be coming to you repeatedly highlighting some of the resources and soldiers here on fort bliss so let's get started Well, once again, I am joined by Sergeant First Class Renee Kiger, who serves in Division Headquarters as the lead SARC. Uh, So Sergeant First Class Kiger, welcome to the Iron Soldier podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It is a pleasure. So let's start with the basics. Tell our listeners what SHARP stands for and what you do here in Fort Bliss.
1: Thank you for asking. SHARP is our sexual harassment assault response prevention program. And here at Fort Bliss, like you had said, it is the CG's, one of the CG's main initiatives. I've been with this program since about July of 2019. And I was privileged to get the honor of being chosen as the lead SARC last July. So that's kind of where I'm at.
0: And we're going to talk a little bit more about how how the SHARP program is implemented here on Fort Bliss. But let's talk big picture. The SHARP program why is it still relevant in the Army even years after its initial creation? Tell us a little bit about the training that you received as a, uh, as a
1: SARC. Um, so the training that I receive as a SARC, we go through a, an 80-hour foundation course, which kind of gives us the basics of what the program means Um, as well as allows us to become credentialed victim advocates. And so I do carry credentials for being a victim advocate as well as a SARC. That comes along with a code of ethics that every credentialed victim advocate and SARC has. And that's something that I really would like uh, the listeners to know, because there are certain ethical things that we must follow, and that when someone volunteers to be a SARC or a victim advocate, they raise their hand and they say they're going to uphold those. Uh, And and we hold those very highly. Those ethics also help us assist victims better in order to have certain aspects of confidentiality that um, we want our, our, our soldiers and people affected by this sexual assault and sexual harassment to know that they can come and confide in us in certain situations and You know, that's something that they can rely on. As well as the 80-hour course, I have been trained in the six-week course, which is the Sharp Career course. And it's very much an extension of the foundation course that digs a little deeper into victim advocacy and basically how to help advocate for someone who is affected by sexual assault or sexual harassment.
0: And I love to get to know the person behind the microphone. So yes, indeed, you carry those credentials, as you mentioned. What is your actual MOS? Um, Because I know you are so passionate about the work you're doing as a SARC, but we are all soldiers first and foremost. So you understand what the people that you advocate for, who they are.
1: Absolutely, sir. So I am a 31 Bravo military police officer by uh, MOS, and I am actually a trained investigator as well. I've served in the... MPI positions at Fort Polk, uh, as well as assisted with the sexual assault special victims response or special victims unit here at Fort Bliss under CID. Prior to going to become the lead sergeant for the division.
0: Well, I can relate to that being an MP myself, and. Um, uh, you definitely are using those uh, interpersonal communication skills each and every day. And I know that you are so passionate about what you do. And it's not just an additional duty. It's actually something that uh, you live and breathe in, and And uh, you're making a huge impact here in Fort Bliss, which we are very appreciative for. So our mm-hmm. listeners can't see it. But on your left shoulder, you have a brizard, a new Broussard, which actually was just um, released and initiated here on Fort Bliss. And it says SHARP. So tell us a little bit about how mm-hmm. that came to be and why it's so important for you and more importantly for the soldiers across the installation
1: absolutely so major general Bernabi has written a policy that we as sharp professionals credentialed and on appointment orders for the fort bliss area can wear this bazaar much like the equal opportunity soldiers wear and it's for awareness it's it's allowing soldiers to kind of recognize who their sharp professionals are and you know if a lot of soldiers see pictures on a wall or they see names on a list, and that doesn't really mean a lot to them. But when they see someone wearing a patch that identifies them as someone who can help them, that's something that creates that awareness and gives someone a comfort of, hey, I'm out of my, my original AO. I, I had a question that I didn't feel comfortable asking the people that I work around. And, and I see you wearing this sharp patch so or this brizard, and I want to be able to ask you a question. And that's what we want. We want soldiers to ask us questions. We want individuals to come up and, and just kind of get to know who we are because we are here to serve the community of Fort Bliss and our, our soldiers, our brothers and sisters, and our team members.
0: And you're up at the division headquarters, but there are folks that are wearing that brazard throughout the installation. So tell us a little bit about how SARCs and victim advocates are distributed across the many upwards of 30,000 soldiers here in Fort Bliss.
1: Yes, so every brigade has a, a brigade S.A.R.C. who is a full-time S.A.R.C. and then the battalion levels and below, they have Sarks and victim advocates that are designated to the battalions as well as down to some of the company levels and so they are mixed in with a lot of just the, the general population here and this this Sharp brazard allows them to stand out and allows someone who maybe didn't know that they were working right beside one of our sharp professionals to identify them so that you know they can get their questions answered or they can get the care they need if if it's something that was, you know, traumatic that they've experienced and they were looking for help and now they can identify someone that can actually help them.
0: And I'm chatting again with uh, Sergeant First Class Kyger, who is the lead SARC up at the division headquarters, and um, we're grateful to have you over here. So up until this point in the conversation, we've been talking a lot about the call it reactive areas, and now I want to transition our conversation into the proactive areas as well, um, which certainly the Brazard and everything that you're doing it really has a, a an element of each of those areas. And we're having this conversation; it, it's getting hot outside here in El Paso. It's uh, which also means it's about that PCS cycle. There's like Lot of soldiers that unfortunately will be leaving that you will come back we know everybody will end up back here at Fort bliss at some point uh, but lots of new soldiers arriving for their respective assignments here on fort bliss so right now as soldiers come in what can they expect from the sharp program whether it's in their in briefs or when they uh when they start to arrive in their unit
1: So we do uh, attend the newcomers brief every Thursday, I believe, or Wednesday or Thursday. So there will be a Sharp professional and then some of our, our trainers, our Sharp trainers at Division attend that as well. And they cover a lot of things as far as the Sharp program. And then that gives the newcomers a face-to-face that gives them someone to connect with when they first get here. Of course, we do have the SHARP hotline and we publicize that for soldiers who would like to call and make reports, ask questions get guidance or assistance. So those are some of the things as far as newcomers that we have. And then you had mentioned something about kind of getting after it and being proactive. We do a lot at the division level and all the way down with training and education. We do have a new program called Bystander Intervention. And that Bystander Intervention allows leaders and soldiers to be able to firstly identify Situations that could be questionable as as they relate to sexual harassment or sexual assault, and then gives them some tools to be able to intervene safely and comfortably, but also being able to take care of their coworkers peers, battle buddies in order to prevent things from happening and get after it before it even happens
0: and going to the general idea of the of the sharp program sharp can take many forms obviously sexual harassment sexual assault and certainly as we said the uh the commanding general here in fort bliss as well as across the military is about essentially eradicating that from within our formations so you have talked a little bit about some of the uh, reporting mechanisms. A lot of it is that is that folks can actually just find somebody, find a SARC uh, that might be even walking through the PX or something like that and immediately identify them. But let's just talk again for those that need a little bit of a refresher, a little bit of a reminder of just that the general foundation of the SHARP program, formal, informal, and uh, and what are some of the routes that uh, that people can take, even if they have just even the slightest concern about something.
1: So I'm glad you asked about you know how to report because there are when we talk about SHARP we talk about two different situations. So first of all if we're talking about sexual harassment, that reporting is slightly different. Sexual harassment being anything that is unwelcome that is sexual in nature that a soldier uh, feels that they need to report or get some guidance on. So there is an informal process to do that where a person a soldier can go to their leadership and anyone who is not in a command position and talk to that person, say a platoon sergeant or a squad leader, and let them know that something is going on and it's sexual harassment in nature, and they would like it addressed and fixed. There is a formal process where if a soldier wanted to go to a SARC or anyone in their chain of command or anyone in leadership, and they wanted to create a formal report that would be investigated by either a commander's inquiry or a 15.6, and there's a timeline wherein someone would require a response. And that timeline is 14 days, give or take. Uh, depending on how the situation goes. So that's really the informal and formal process. And we also have a new process for sexual harassment reporting and it's anonymous. And that's been a little bit confusing for some. Anonymous is truly anonymous. If someone is feeling that they have been sexually harassed and they don't feel confident coming forward to anyone, remaining truly anonymous by slipping a note under the commander's door, slipping a note under the SARC's door without your name, but also just kind of giving what happens in the situation, the who, what, where, how things happened, and allowing the chain of command to look into something like that while still remaining anonymous. Um, so those are the three different types of sexual harassment reporting. So if we transition to sexual assault, there is a different reporting options and that's restricted and unrestricted. So when we talk about restricted reporting, that's where a soldier comes to a SARC or SARP professional who is credentialed. That SARC or SARP professional has confidentiality under MRE 514 with that soldier and if that person says that they would like to remain restricted, they can receive medical services. They can receive behavioral health services and other types of victim advocacy. But the the situation would not be investigated by law enforcement. They would be able to maintain some anonymity, really, for getting the services that they need. The unrestricted reporting option is the same, the the SARC still has that confidentiality of an under MRE 514, and that's military rules of evidence. But then that SARC and the commander actually inform law enforcement to allow the situation to be investigated by law enforcement and possibly taken to adjudication. They still receive the same types of benefits as far as medical victim advocacy, the possibility of an expedited transfer, and that's something that the SARC will definitely inform that person of in its entirety, as well as just getting victim advocacy services.
0: And I appreciate you demystifying this because it is it is complicated, but it is so important. And in the show notes in today's conversation, we'll link to, of course, the contact information. There, are, uh, folks are on call at all hours of the day, uh, able to take that call, even for even for questions. And commanders should reach out as well if there's something that they don't understand. It's important. There are so many resources. And just as we come to a conclusion in our in our wonderful conversation over here, again with the lead sark for the first Armored Division, Sergeant First Class Kyger. Uh, um, I want to highlight that it was just a couple of months ago that we had the Ironclad uh, Summit uh, with the participation of the Secretary of the Army, and it, at that summit there was a skit, and and there were there were several there has been several opportunities throughout the installation for that education and again that proactive piece that we've been talking about uh, so far, and I know that uh, General Bernabi has prioritized the additional education of not just at the SARC and the Victim Advocate level, but actually uh, at the lower level possible to encourage to encourage that so just uh is there anything else sergeant first class geiger that that uh, we didn't talk about over here that you'd like to highlight for our listeners on the iron soldier podcast about the sharp program and what you and your colleagues do to create a a welcoming an environment um, which uh, certainly uh, our goal is to get rid of any uh, incidents of uh, sexual harassment sexual assault anything that i've missed
1: Uh, Nothing that you've missed. We've really talked in depth. I just really would like to highlight that the the sharp professionals on this installation and, and on any installation really, again, highlighting our code of ethics and our credentialing that we have volunteered to support and assist the persons affected by sexual harassment and sexual assault. And we take that very seriously.
0: Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing uh, with our listeners. And we'll uh, certainly circle back uh, with you and your colleagues and continue to uh, highlight the important work that you're doing. And again, we'll share in the show notes the uh, the phone numbers, the links, and make sure everybody has access to that information. So again, Sergeant First Class Renee Kiger, Lead Sark at First Armored Division. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined here on our, again, our very first episode of the Iron Soldier podcast with Specialist Myra Underwood, who is uh, in HHB uh, DeVardy here on Fort Bliss. And I love visiting over at Devardi; some of the most welcoming, friendly soldiers, including Specialist Underwood. So thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me, sir.
0: Absolutely. So you uh, have been here on Fort Bliss for the past uh, year and a half or so, which has been an interesting time in our world. With, uh, with COVID, so it's nice that we're actually able to have this conversation in person as things start to come back to reality. And I should say, uh, Specialist Underwood was selected to participate in this conversation and has been selected to participate in many conversations because of her passion for helping people. And we'll get into that. But let's talk about your military story, which I know starts a long time before you actually joined the military. So let's talk about it. When was the first time you were on an army installation?
2: The very first time I was on an army installation. Was when I was born in um, Gosh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. But my birth certificate says Tennessee because it's right on the border, right there. So um, I was born in Tennessee, Fort Campbell, Tennessee, and I've moved so many times throughout my childhood. I, the only time I ever didn't live on a military installation was in Germany and in Alabama when my dad retired.
0: Wow! So uh, growing up, was uh, there pressure on you to uh, to join the to join the army?
2: Oh, no, not at all. My dad wanted us to be whatever we wanted. My little sister's actually in college right now becoming a doctor and my older sister is a lovely mother of three little boys. I chose to join the army because when I was in second grade and I saw everything my dad was doing and, you know, being around all the different soldiers and basically the experiences that I got to grow up with, I decided that I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to make this world a better place even if it's, you know, just serving my country and, you know, fighting for our freedoms.
0: Well, thank you for taking that uh, that oath and stepping up. And so you've stepped up already uh, a couple of years ago. You uh, you went uh, to basic training at uh, Fort Jackson. And then, uh, so let's let's talk about it. What is your uh, MOS?
2: I am a 91 Delta, a power generator mechanic, but my command team had me move to the training room to be more helpful and assist soldiers with leave forms, you know, 4187s, your troop school requests and stuff like that.
0: Absolutely. And and so uh, are you still in touch with uh, some of your battle buddies that you uh, went through uh, basic training in AIT with?
2: Some of them, not really. Most of them with their own, their own way. Most of the guys that I went to basic training with were mostly reserves and National Guard. One of my buddies was actually sent, she was National Guard, and she got sent up to Washington for the president's inauguration.
0: Oh, that's very cool. And that's the fun part of the Army is uh, we're a team of teams and you will stay in touch with many folks and certainly over the course of your career, which, by the way, do you plan to uh, make a, you know, go beyond 20 years or, or just uh, spend a couple of years in the Army?
2: <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. You know, I do love the Army a lot. I was raised in it. It was It's something that I've basically indoctrinated my life around. So... Making a career out of the army is definitely something I want to do, but there's always other things that factor into life that I gotta be reasonable about as well.
0: Well, whatever you decide to do, we're grateful that you're uh, that you're uh, taking that step. So uh, this is your first duty assignment, actually being in a green uniform. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, and so you, uh, when you heard that you were being assigned to Fort Bliss, did you have any expectations?
2: Not really. I mean, when I first got the duty assignment, I was really excited because I knew it was the largest military installation, both CONUS and OCONUS. And so I was like, oh my, this is going to, this is the biggest installation. There's probably going to be tons of people. And when I first got here, there were, there's, there's a lot of people here. And it really surprised me because I don't see as many, you know, military dependents or civilians as I thought I would, because when I was a military dependent civilian, that's, I was surrounded by them. There's like a, the community is just, it's jam-packed. But now that I'm in the actual army and I'm a soldier, I don't really see the dependents, the, you know, the kids anymore. I don't really see that community side anymore. I see it from the husband side, it's the wife's side, the soldiers working and then going home at the end of the day to the PwC wives, you know, the homeschool kids, the public school kids, the dodea school kids, the ones that are working hard to make sure that their family can make a life here and enjoy their time in the military
0: yeah well as things open up hopefully we will start to see uh more more people throughout but uh which ties into the the numbers that we were talking about before Fort Bliss is home to so many people and diverse uh number of people and everybody has their own story which is why i wanted to start with that so you are in as you said the training room at HHB uh DeVardy, and you have stepped up and demonstrated and uh, sort of taken a position where you are taking care of your battle buddies which is the example that that certainly we want to see across uh, our formation. So tell us what the typical uh, life of a specialist underwood looks like, whether it's on the weekends and, and and you know, just spending time with your friends.
2: Well, typical day, typically day of life. When I'm at work and I'm working, I'll be filing people's leaves, taking stuff to the commander and first sergeant to make sure that their leaves, their troop school requests, their ETS paperwork, all of that gets filed smoothly and efficiently so that, you know, they don't have to stress as much. And uh, when I'm not really doing as much and I'm just trying to bide my time, like clean up a little bit, you know, keep myself busy, soldiers will come in and, you know, will talk to me. They'll request to talk to me. They'll pull me aside and, you know, they'll be like, hey, I know you've got all these other documents that you need to get filed but I was wondering if I could just maybe slip this one in like I know the deadline's coming up but can I just slip this one in I'm like well yeah I mean if you got something you gotta do you got something you need to do I can easily take care of this like it's part of my job it's it's something I enjoy doing like taking care of people I don't see it as a nice thing to do I don't see it as you know something that you have to be trained to do. I see it as, it's just common courtesy. When you see somebody that needs help, when you see somebody, like your battle buddy in the barracks, you see him walking around the hallways, he's a little stressed, rubbing on his head a little bit, he doesn't know what to do, he can't sit in his room, he's just walking around the hallways, Just like, hey, hold up a second, come here, step into my room real quick, we'll talk. It's just a common courtesy. It's being aware of what's going on, your surroundings and stuff like that, it's very good skill. And to take care of your battle buddy, to take care of the person next to you down the line. It's not going to help you, but it's definitely going to help them, especially with their career. It's going to make sure that, you know, the army moves along smoother because if everyone is taken care of, if everyone is focused and getting their stuff done because they know, hey, this person's got my back. Hey, this person's taking care of this problem that I had, even though, you know, I was too scared to go to my NCO about it. When they have that, resource when they have that one person that they can look to, even if I'm not an NCO, even if I'm just Little Joe, like all the other soldiers, it makes me happy because I know my workplace is going smoothly. I know we're performing well and other units will look at our unit and be like, what do they got going on that makes them so efficient what are they doing differently from us and honestly it's just the fact that all the soldiers are looking after and taking care of each other and when one of them has a problem and they need to talk to an NCO about it they can't because we have several NCOs that are well happy to take care of you even if they're not your direct NCO
0: And uh, it's I'm sure will be in short order that you will uh, join the uh, the NCO Corps and uh, and step up and you will make an outstanding NCO with that uh, attention to uh, helping soldiers, which is what it's all about. And before we went live, um, we were talking a little bit about, uh, about that, that, uh, as you process leave forms, you, ex- you take the time to explain to your commander, first sergeant, yeah. why the story behind, uh, that leave form to yeah. make sure it's understood. Hey, you know, maybe this has slipped in at the last second, but there's a reason this soldier needs X, Y, or Z. And that's exactly yeah. that dedication. So in off duty hours, you are, uh, you, you again, we've been in, uh, in the world of COVID slowly, but surely things are starting to open up safely. So you. Tell us a little bit about what you and some of your friends do to uh, to to pass time on weekends. You know, we've uh, we just celebrated the uh, the Army birthday, and it sounds like you just had a uh, a good uh, couple of days to relax.
2: Yeah, this past weekend during the Army's birthday, me and my group of friends we got to go to Reduso, New Mexico, and I brought along one of my coworkers. He wasn't really part of our group initially, but I was like. Hey, since we're going, you might as well come with us. Like, there's no point in you sitting in the barracks alone, especially seeing your roommate is, you know, one of the friends coming along with us. So you're not going to be locked up in your room alone, especially if you work with me. Come on. So we dragged him along with us. We went to Reduce on a Max Co. We got to go swimming in a lake. And there was a little cliff jumping area on the lake, which was a lot of fun. And a cool thing about that was it seemed a lot of the soldiers just kind of clustered in that one area of the lake. Because there was a bunch of families and, you know, a bunch of people at the lake, but it was such a large, spread out area. That they all kind of like all of the military personnel for some reason just all morphed to this one side of the lake and we're just chilling, barbecuing, and having fun. And uh, that was something fun that we got to do. I got to enjoy uh, hiking in the mountains with all the trees and stuff like that because there's not much trees here in the desert.
0: <laughs> well, with the hot weather uh, these days in uh, in El Paso, definitely uh, jumping into the lake sounds wonderful and and seeing the beauty of uh, again of our surroundings here, which is great. And that's exactly you know we want to encourage soldiers to. Uh, you know, to uh, to spend their weekends and enjoying nature and checking out all that beautiful Fort Bliss and the surrounding area has to offer. So, Specialist Underwood, what advice do you have for your battle buddies that might be tuning in? Because you've certainly stood out and have. It sounds like you really love your job and you love <laughs> you know you love what you do. I have a feeling that you will end up you know hitting many other installations and probably continuing with that same level of commitment and hopefully same level of fun and energy, energy and passion uh, mm-hmm. in what you do. So what what message do you have for your battle buddies?
2: I'd say the only advice that I have to give them is look out for one another. It's just a common courtesy to be there for one another, even if you don't like the person, even if you absolutely despise that person because they did something to you in the past. You got to forgive. You got to forget. And you got to let go of these things, because in the end, we're all wearing green. We're all, you know, working together and we're all together trying to do trying to get to one goal. And so, you got to work together, you got to help each other, and just try to be there for one another, even if it's difficult.
0: That's great. And uh, do you have any uh, goals uh, for either education or next duty assignment in the Army? Any aspirations? Because I have a feeling I'll be checking back in with you in a couple of years to see uh, <laughs> see where your journey has, uh, has taken you.
2: Well, my goals right now, I am planning on going to Liberty University to become a chaplain in the future because... That's definitely something I want to do. I like helping soldiers, and that's what chaplains do. Chaplains will, you know, they'll sit there and they'll pray for you and they'll take care of you. And um, I'm also planning on getting stationed up in Colorado because my husband's presently stationed in Fort Carson, Colorado. So hopefully I'll get to move up there soon. And while I'm over there, take that time to study and go to school and become a chaplain.
0: Wow. Well, uh, I know that that commitment to uh, to soldiers will uh, serve the Army well, and I hope that that works out for you, that you can uh, join your husband up uh, up in Colorado. So, again, Specialist uh, Myra Underwood, thank you so much for joining us here on the, again, first edition of the Iron Soldier podcast. And again, thank you to Sergeant First Class Kiger, who earlier in the episode joined us to talk about the SHARP program. We'll be back with another episode, uh, continuing our conversation, highlighting the soldiers and the resources here on Fort Bliss. Until next time, uh, Iron Soldiers.